Lord, what a privilege it is to be back together as your people as we seek to follow you in our day in these uncertain times. We know you are certain, and we know your love is steadfast. And we pray now as we look at these marvelous passages and we look at our homes, we pray, Lord, you would rejuvenate us, revive us, and help us to have a vision for such a home as you call us to. Take our minds now, think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own, and may we delight in that will. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you, Lord Jesus Christ, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. In 2016, IKEA surveyed 12,000 people around the world so they can figure out how to make the quality furniture that they make. And they asked the answer to this question. This is a global survey. What makes a house a home? Across the globe came these four components. What makes a house a home? Comfort, safety, belonging, and unconditional love. You notice that around the globe, there was not one mention about a brick fireplace, a lazy boy recliner, a 99-inch screen, flat-screen TV, or a Stearns and Foster mattress. See, within each and every one of us around the world is the nagging ache of our human existence, and that's what home is. We all long for it. We want to be settled somewhere safe. We want to be sheltered from impermanence. All of us are driven to find that place where everybody knows us well and unconditionally. You see, Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz was right. There's no place like home. We're in this series of pandemic parenting in our Family Life series. We spent the first two weeks, about a month ago, focusing on what makes a house a home, number one, as a school. It's a place of learning. It's a place of growing. And God calls us to put our relationship with him first where our homes are placed where the grace and truth of Jesus is taught and modeled by mom and dad. That who we are in Christ is what matters most as our identity. As we are righteous in his sight. Week two, we learned that the home is a place of healing. It's a hospital under the the great physician of Jesus Christ. And every mom and dad and grandpa and grandma and aunt and uncle and cousins are the medical staff helping our children know that we don't shoot our wounded. We love people and when we make mistakes, we come back home for healing because bad things happen to Christians too. And then we took two weeks break for the great parties of Trinity Sunday and Pentecost Sunday. And so today we turn to the home again. A longing, because that's what we're creating here. We all long for home and what our home should be. And today we're going to focus on the home as a mission station. 
that the Lord calls every household to be as a salt and light to the world. So you're going to need your Bibles. If you've got your cell phone, pull it out and open up your texts. Because we're going to look at three different texts this morning to help us understand what it means for our home to be a mission station for the Lord. No matter where you are, single, widowed, uh, married, parent, grandparent. This, this, this is something for, there's something for each and every one of us in these texts today. So first, we realize that God calls us in Jesus Christ to recognize that every family member has a God-given responsibility for others. We take that from Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. I encourage you to turn your Bibles to Philippians 2, where Paul writes to the Philippian church, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So in the home, we teach our children, our grandchildren, to count others more significant than ourselves. When my kids were little, if I could go back and do it, I'd make a t-shirt. Count others more uh, significant than yourselves. We tried to teach that to our kids, that Rebecca, you're responsible for Zach and serving him and loving him and modeling Christ-likeness, and Zach, you're responsible to Ben, and so on and so forth, all the way down to DT. And somewhere along the line, as they entered teenage years, that just got muddled. And it became, at times, unmerciful. So keep at it my friends and even when it doesn't look like it's working keep at it because I think it's coming back in my family seeing my grown children love one another and care for one another and serve one another but the world you know we think of the rivals of this attitude count others more important to ourselves in our pursuit for careerism the need to impress others and the pursuit of comfort and peace and to make our homes such and such and I could go on and on but in the church, and Barna has borne this out, that one of the greatest rivals to serving others and count others greater than ourselves and making our homes such a place of mission is making the family, the maintenance of the family status quo is greater than the mission of God and where he's at work around us where we live, work, and play. And far more often than we realize, our efforts are focused on the maintenance of the home and all the kids' activities and everything, and we get on that mouse wheel, if you will. But the reality is we're called to be missional. I wonder what we would say when we would hear the words that Jesus spoke to his parents in Luke chapter 2. We remember the story well when 
He stayed back in the temple while the whole caravan was going back to Nazareth. Mary and Joseph walk in and said, Son, why have you done this to us? We've been looking for you for a whole day. And what does Jesus say in verse 49, chapter 2? Why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Suggesting that to be in the spiritual family is of greater importance than to be with his biological family. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, can you imagine what the original hearers thought when he said, I have come and I will bring division to set father against son, mother against daughter, brother against sister. Can you imagine how in a shame and honor culture where family is so highly esteemed, he said those words. He could have said, look, the family's my idea. I created it. I created it so that you would be a blessing to one another and thus to the world, and a blessing to our society. But your home as a mission station takes priority. Your relationship with me and getting on the mission that I'm doing in your family and in your church family and around the, your neighborhood is a priority. And teaching our children to count others more significant than themselves can be met with opposition within the family. That's what Jesus is saying. But when you all are on the same page, it brings great unity and purpose to the family. Secondly, turn to Matthew 25. Because not only does Jesus teach us that to count others more significant than ourselves, he also teaches us to serve Jesus is by serving one another within the church. And to serve others is to serve Jesus, and to neglect others is to neglect Jesus. Jesus is talking to his disciples in Matthew 25 about what the kingdom is like. And then he talks about the end times and coming into the physical presence of God on the judgment day. And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of these, least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. As you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus is talking about our service and ministry within the church. And we teach our, others, we teach our children to count others more significant than ourselves. We pay attention to the needs within the church body out of concern for one another, and that flows from the church body to where we live, work, and play. We have a tendency to make our homes a fortress and, and seal out the needs around us. And God is saying, no, there are needs right before you in the body of Christ that only we can meet. And you can meet, as you meet them, you bring glory to my name. And the world sits up and takes notice. And Jesus said, you will be known by the way you love one another, John 13, 35. And so, I'm so proud of you. During this last three months, so many of our little church leaders have taken it upon themselves to reach out, make phone calls, make sure people are doing okay and listen to needs. 
I find myself that sometimes during the pandemic, I make three phone calls and three hours would go by. Because people, didn't you just need to talk at times? You know, we're all self-isolated. It was hard. I'm so glad we're starting to come out of our caves. But I want to encourage you to continue to do that. We don't know how long this is going to be. Pray with them. Listen to them. Reach out to them. And serve them and meet their needs. Because Jesus in teaching about the kingdom is teaching his disciples that the kingdom is where the reign of Christ reigns supreme in his disciples. And the world isn't going to applaud this. Because we're serving out of love, serving others out of a love for Christ. My life for yours, just like Jesus did. And as we teach and model this for our kids, they'll catch it. Because this is caught over and above even being taught. And the last verse is out of our gospel reading that, that uh, Steve read for us today. So it's in your bulletins if you don't have it. It's also in your Bibles, Mark chapter 2, verse 42. Jesus teaches here that to be a mission station as a home, a life of service in God's kingdom is the only means to true human greatness. You want to be great in the world? Serve. Jesus called them to him and said, verse 42 of chapter 10, you know that those are considered rulers over the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, greatness in the Lord's eyes is being a servant to one another. Not jockeying for position. The world's message implicitly is get ahead. Jockey for position. Because that's exactly what James and John are doing. They're thinking Jesus is going to be the second David. He's going to be King Jesus. And we want to be the Secretary of State and the Secretary of War. That's what they're hoping to be. That's the world's ways. Notice Jesus doesn't openly rebuke them. He asks questions. That's not mine to give, boys. You know, but it shall not be so among you. Greatness is how we serve. And oh, my friends, the world is listening right now as we serve them with the pandemic, with the racial tension, we have an opportunity by the way we love the Lord, love our children, our grandchildren, love one another as husbands and wife, love one another as the body of Christ to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world. The church can unleash this message of hope and grace that there is a God who knows you personally, that there is a God who wants to speak in grace over your life today, offering forgiveness and grace and truth and mercy to you and saving you from the wrath of God. There is a God that has a purpose for you and is calling you to that purpose today. 
and delights in just in who you are in him? And did you notice that some of the most seemingly unnoticed things and events to you that happen to you can be written into the glory of God's story and used for others down the road? And that you today are one step closer to meeting him face to face. And on that day, when we meet him face to face, like in Matthew chapter 25, we're going to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. And we're going to discover once and for all what the definition of the word good means when we're with him. That's our message. That's the hope each and every one of us have in him. And to serve him is the great privilege. And the world isn't going to applaud. But he does. And the angels do. And so, my friends, let's apply this. Now, we have all kinds of people here this morning. We have, first, singles young people who are yet to be married. We have widows and widowers. How does this mission station matter to you? Well, first, I want to encourage you that as a widow, a widower, and a, uh, a single person, you have the ministry of flexibility that marrieds do not. When I was engaged to Kimmy, um, I was teaching and coaching at, at, at Woodson High School, and it was one of the great blessings of my life. At that time, my life, considering myself an ambassador for Christ, to use my coaching to be an ambassador, just to get to know the students, get to know the student athletes, talk to these guys. So I'd hang around the locker room. I'd be last out of the locker room with the head coach, and uh, it was no problem. You know, I'd go back to my apartment with my, living with my dad and my brother at the time in Fairfax, Virginia. That was a hoot, you know. And, uh, you know, I'd get home at whatever time, and I'd call her, check in with her, see how you doing, you know. And we'd talk to one another every day, but we didn't see one another necessarily every day. And then we got married. And she asked me, what time are you coming home for dinner? And I said, does that matter? Well, that's a stupid question, <laughs> right? Uh, yes, it matters. I need to know what time I'm planning dinner. Well, what time should I be home? Well, what time do you get off practice? Six. Well, can we aim for 6.37? Sure. You know? I had a conflict. A personal internal conflict. I love her. I had to change. So if you're single, you don't have that. I saw at that time what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians 7. I wish all men and women were like me. Because there's a flexibility to joining the Lord at the work that the married person doesn't have. That's an advantage you have. There's disadvantages, yes. But there's advantages you have that married couple don't have. The greatest volunteer I had at Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in my student ministry was an engineer uh, in his mid-30s and a 
F-18 pilot who just helped me out at events. They couldn't help me weekly with the studies that we did during the Sunday school hour, but they could help me every time we played an event. I could count on Evan, and I forget the pilot's name. I wish, I, th- I can't remember his name, but he was cool, and he looked like Maverick, and he was awesome, and the girl swooned, and he had a girlfriend who was an engineer, and she was beautiful and smart, and these three came alongside of me. It was great. How could they do that? They were single. I couldn't get any of the marriage to help me. They had responsibilities. They had things they had to take care of. So singles, pray to show you where the Lord is at work in you, where you live, where you work, where you study, where you play, because he will reveal it. And jump in here where we have needs. You'll hear about some of those in a little bit. Marrieds. While we don't have the the ministry of flexibility and mobility that the singles might have, we have the advantage of using our home as a mission station of hospitality. We can invite in those singles. We can invite in those hurting within the church and just use our dinner tables as a wonderful, encouraging place of love, unconditional love, and that we demonstrate a place of healing, demonstrate a place of learning and growth to not only our friends, but those who don't know Christ. I want to encourage us to do that this summer. And as we go into the fall, we're going to read, walk through sections of John and rediscovering the love of Jesus and how we can be hospitable, both singles and marrieds down the road, because singles can be hospitable too. It's just, it's easier for us. It just is. In closing, people have asked me, interestingly enough, you know, I've been here 13 years now. I'm kind of being like dust. Um, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. People ask me, well, Gene, where do you see yourself in 15 years, 20 years? You're going to go back to Virginia? I, in response to that, I said, well, where do you think home is? I've moved 13 times in 35 years of marriage. If there's one thing I've learned, home is not a house. Home is where the reign of God in God's kingdom people reigns supreme, number one, and the grace and love of Jesus flows in husband and wife to the kids and wherever that is, you got a home. That's a place where everybody knows my name. And there's no place like it. And as we ground it in the covenant of God, my friends, it'll be salt that the world will thirst for the living water of Jesus Christ together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what a privilege it is for us to be such kingdom people. We pray that we would be such mission stations and homes where this good news is fostered and flourishing. And that as we seek to join you at the work around us, we seek to be places of hospitality, seek to, to serve here in the community at Christ Church. May you be glorified in and through us in a way we've never seen before. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.